0: Uh, There's so much to be thankful for this week. There's so much to be uh, uh, to practice gratitude that doesn't necessarily feel like a workout. But I had a, a picture that was sent to me of something that warmed my heart, uh, and it was a picture of B Sterling sitting down with Dad and Jonathan because Dad has a call to lead worship, and he's been asking me for months about getting some help to record music because he wants to use worship music to help his people understand English better. So not only are we teaching and having an ongoing class in the homes for ESL, but they want to have a ministry that helps introduce their people to uh, the American uh, English through Christian praise and worship. And so B was sitting down with them at his kitchen table this week and uh, working on some Uh, tunes that they can record and be able to send out to their worship team and so I was like thank you God. Uh, It it has been a a challenging relationship in that I care so much about them. Their needs are so great. I want to help uh, and I feel like there's only so much I can do in so much time. And so as the relationships grow with individuals, we get to bless them more and more. And so speaking of that, next weekend is our Church as Tribe weekend. And I am personally going to be having a breakfast in Dats and Lily's apartment. So if you want to join me, uh, just let me know so I can make arrangements. We're just going to show up and make some breakfast tacos They value our prayers, and this is a home that we have not made it to yet. Uh, uh, Van used to be roommates with Jonathan. Uh, Van got married, Jonathan moved, and Lily and Van started living in an apartment, oh, it was, I don't know, six or eight months ago. And uh, I had said, oh, we'll come and pray over your apartment. And he keeps reminding me that I have not prayed over his apartment. Uh, and so that lip service that I paid, I'm going to, you know, come, you know, pay it forward now and, and follow through. But uh, in February, they're, they're expecting their first child, so I'm going to want to do another uh, baby shower since that seems to be a really fun, sticky, cross-cultural thing and all kinds <laughs> of awkward goodness there. Uh, but if you would like to join, we're going to go next Sunday morning from 9 to 11. And then, um, but I'm encouraging tribes to just figure out what can you do, uh, whether it be in North or in South, Central, West, Austin, to just make faith and community more accessible. And so that's what we're thinking about doing. We're thinking about this Christmas season. And so I would encourage you to kind of help kind of pull some uh, ideas together. You know what makes tribe great? When you respond to emails in a timely manner. Tribe goes better when people (laughs) commit and say, I'm in. Uh, So, make it a Christmas miracle and respond within 24 hours, that's all I'm saying. Uh, And then, um, we are at that season of Advent, Uh, I brought a wreath wreath, and I'm encouraging you, there's a, if you don't already have one, I would encourage you just to make it your centerpiece at your family dinner table. Uh, And uh, if you just want to have an adult devotional, I included a link for a Henry Nouwen book, Uh, There's one that I shared last week that has more of a kid-type daily reading that if you just want to go through it. I know kids just like to open the like Trader Joe's ones and get a piece of chocolate for breakfast every morning, but there's actually more sacred moments to it. And as long as there involves lighting uh, matches and lighting candles, you have their attention. Uh, But it helps us capture what is beautiful and sacred about this season, Uh, And so we're looking forward to that, and we want to be very, um, very purposeful as we work our way over the next uh, five weeks or so. So it's with that in mind, did I get it all? We want to dismiss our kids uh, for their time, and we want to dismiss them with this blessing. May you, may God bless you, the Lord bless you as you continue on in your time of worship. Okay, may may God bless you as you continue on in your time of worship. Thank you, Marco. Marco's the only A student in the bunch. Okay, you're embarrassing. Stop talking. (laughs) There There is a race that I don't really follow because I'm not a cyclist, but I don't know how many of you have paid attention much to the Tour de France, Uh, It is a grueling race, and maybe that's my disinterest. Um, I'm not a cyclist. I do not own a bicycle since college when someone stole it uh, from our house, Uh, but I do admire what it takes to compete at that high level. Maybe it's a sport that's been kind of shrouded in this kind of scandal of doping and whatnot. But here's the thing, whether they're on drugs or not, this race is rather impressive. Uh, and so uh, whether they're getting help or not I, I'm not, I don't really care. But it's a 2,200-mile 2, race over three weeks. There's 21 day-long events over 23 days. It's said, and it's a very unruly crowd, but there can be up to like half a million people within an eight-mile stretch of one road just cheering and cheering. And so I'm imagining what this feels like about what it means to start the race. This race that's going to go for three weeks. This race that's going to go for 2,200 miles. This race that is going to go through some of the steepest climbs and some of the slipperiest conditions, hot and crowded and fraught with, you know, whether it be accidents or injury or breakdowns, let alone endurance. And I'm thinking, what happens after those first few miles, when you get past the half a million people? What happens after the roar of the crowd starts to fade? Where does your strength actually come from? I'm not worried about the first day or the first two days when the crowds are still relatively full. I think about if I'm in that race and I'm on like day 12 in the middle of nowhere and there's that random weird spectator yelling at me, but it's just so grueling, so long, I'm wondering where do you find the strength when you're in the middle of the race? When the climb is steeper than you can handle, when the conditions are hotter or wetter or colder than you want, where do you find the strength? That's a compelling story, and I think it also speaks to what it feels like to run a spiritual race. When we're sitting here just mining for the presence of God to be felt, to be known, to be experienced, for the voice of God to be heard, even if in a whisper, give us guidance give us your hope, give us a promise, let me know that you're there. And so I would say sometimes it's really easy to rally, to to just be carried on by adrenaline, to have a goosebump and a mountain high experience, but how is it that we sustain a life over the long haul as it relates to walking in faith and letting it grow and form something in us? I think that is a compelling question and so the the Tour de France kind of frames in what I feel like is a spiritual journey that um, uh, that I relate to in in a very personal way and so the question is never um, <clears throat> if the question is always when our strength gives out and you might have come here tonight just on a whim limping in because you just felt like well I should go or I need I need whatever I think that happens to us a lot maybe you limp into the end of this year you limp into the holidays you limp into these kind of moments of your life where you wish that maybe something felt a little bit more joyful a a little bit uh, uh, more spring in your step and so what I want to look at is I think the huge temptation for us all is to somehow resign to let And our doubts, our fears, our cynicism, maybe our procrastination start to mount. And then we get out of practice. We get out of the practice of community. We get out of the practice of of giving. We get out of the practice of serving. We get out of the practice of doing the things that I think actually form Christ in us. You know what we do? We, We get away from the pack and all of a sudden we're a single writer. We have no one to draft behind. We have no one to come alongside us. And what I don't really understand about the sport of cycling is that you compete as a team. There's something collaborative that you never go and ride a race just for your own kind of purposes. You compete as a team. And I, I get so concerned when I feel like people drop out of or fade away from Christian community because I'm like, faith was meant to be exercised practiced nurtured within the context of community we cannot grow in isolation and we cannot self-help our way into anything transformational we always need someone further along and we need to be bringing someone else along that's the way this thing works but it is not a sprint It is an endurance sport. And so the questions that I'm kind of mulling are, where is it that you find your strength? And maybe more pointedly, to what extent is prayer a source of strength for you? I, I know for me, sometimes prayer just gets really motivated by crisis, by profound need or depravity, something that feels, oh, I just can't do this on my own. Other times prayer feels like, I'm actually part of God's response. And if this has burdened me, quite possibly it's already burdened God and I can be a tangible response to the prayer that's in my heart. I almost don't even need to say anything about it. God works in both ways. Sometimes prayer is listening. Sometimes prayer is speaking. Sometimes prayer becomes one of the things that we do to refocus, to center ourselves. But my hope is that prayer can be a source of spiritual strength. Something that you go, I didn't even have any time to converse with God today in. Something that didn't even occupy sort of your downtime. And that's what I worry about when we're always pulling out our phones is because we're just, if we have a free moment, do you catch yourself at a light going, well it's still red so I guess I'll check Facebook it's still red to see I guess I'll check to see if I got a new email I'll and we're like we don't know what to do with stillness because we're terrible at it and what I would say is how can we center in on the presence of God um And this is what the Shema was all about. It was practicing the presence of God. Much like we would start our day with the Pledge of Allegiance, they would begin and end the day with these sacred prayers. Now we understand part of the Shema, a sentence of the Shema, as the great commandment. They understood the whole of the Shema as as a way to practice the presence of God. So in our reductionistic way, we're like, yeah, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your your mind, uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. But they would see it as, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your your strength and, and with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about impress these things on your children. And it talks about those four times a day where we can not only acknowledge God's presence, but where we can impart God's presence: meal time, drive time, evening time, like going to bed, and when we wake up in the morning. There is this way for us to recenter our lives, beginning with listening and beginning with this idea that God is in fact faithful even though it feels needy today. And so we began a journaling exercise last week, finding God's presence in both the hard and the good. The things in our lives that we never want to repeat again, but we can see how God used it, redeemed it, used it to shape us, grow us, nurture wisdom. And we go, thank you, God. Thank you that I don't ever have to go through that again, but thank you that you salvaged it. And so there's this beautiful way that we can cultivate the presence of God and and let prayer become a great source of strength. So as we wind down this series, I want to look at the idea of strength. Loving God with all of our strength. Now let me just review a little bit. Um, I think that strength is always found in listening. And any relationship, I think, benefits from hearing. I don't mean to make this a marriage seminar. I don't mean to make this a relational talk, but any relationship benefits from actual hearing. I don't listen well when there's a game that I'm interested that's on. We had a lot of good football and there was a little conversation this weekend. I catch myself going, I'm sorry. I'm listening now what did you say but there's this practice of listening that's really important and I think we find strength in it when we're able to listen to God Um, and then it says love your God with all your heart which is to say all of your affection Uh, loving God with all your heart means courtship. It means seeking. It means listening. It means asking. It means confessing. But loving God with all of our heart, all of our affection, will always make us somewhat vulnerable to God because we run the risk of disappointment. And I would simply say that vulnerability never risked is intimacy never gained. So imagine courtship without actually coming clean, without actually making yourself known. God invites us into that, and we, with kind of fragile hearts, give ourselves to God, recognizing that God will not always produce as we want God to produce but that's the kind of courtship that we're invited into. It says, love God with all of your soul, which is to say the entirety of our lives, finding God in the good and the hard. And last week we looked at finding God in the file, the hammer and the furnace moments of our lives. Those, those, those moments where God sometimes has to file down our rough edges sometimes hammers us into submission and sometimes has to purify through fiery times where, where we come out better for it. We don't resent God for that, but we have to acknowledge that God is in the hard and the good again. I hope this starts to fuel the flame for your own kind of prayer interaction, your own kind of speaking and listening with God. Um, This was a fixed time prayer that they would pray together, um, but they would pray as their beginning and end of their days, so that they could be centered in Christ alone. And then it says, love God with all of your strength. It's a curious word. If you found an uh, an outline on on your um, on your chair tonight, I might want to encourage you just to fill in a, a couple of things. The word strength here is interesting because it's a Hebrew word that says miod, M E apostrophe O D, The interesting thing about miod is it has nothing to do with might, it has nothing to do with muscle power or with actual physical strength. It actually, if you're a literary person, is an adverb. It intensifies the meaning. So it would much more literally be translated like very or much. And so some of the other examples of where "miode," the way they use strength here, love God with all of your strength, would be like when God goes through six days of creation and He says, and it was good, and it was good, there was light, and there was darkness, there was land, there was sea, there was birds of the air, it was good, good, and then He creates humanity, male and female, and what does He say? It's meowed good. It's very good. Or Jacob as he's acquiring wealth and he's walking in obedience with God and he was gathering livestock and he was having sons and they were having families and he was acquiring more land. It said that he became meowed wealthy. Not just rich, but really wealthy. There was this point of emphasis that the word meowed was trying to communicate. And so when the writer here is saying, love God with all of your muchness what he's saying is love God with the entirety of your life so what does that mean so um, loving God with our muchness is devoting every possibility every opportunity every resource every circumstance and saying is this a divine appointment is this a divine interruption how and in what way can this bring glory to God. Love God with all of your muchness. So it doesn't matter what your day job is. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. I'm not a social service provider. It doesn't matter. We all have daily moments to make our lives an offering and love God with all of our heart. It was our practice with our kids to try and teach them about stewardship, And that our home wasn't ours, but we were going to host people in our home whether they ever invited us back or not. And so we just made it a practice of hospitality. And so it was their job to help blow the leaves and clean the bathrooms and shop at Costco and do all the things to ready because 75 people were gonna come over our house again, which is a monthly love feast that we used to host uh, for a couple of years. Why? Because we're trying to love God with all of it. And now what we like to do is go, Sundays are for you, God. Or Sunday afternoons are for you, God. But the rest of the weekend, that's mine and that's my lake time. That's my football time. That's my, no, no, no. In all that we do, we make it an offering. So we're learning to steward all that we have as unto the Lord. That's what David talked about when he says, I make my life a drink offering where he could just be poured out, recognizing that everything comes from him. And David is a good example of someone who could find God in the good and the hard. So there's a few blanks. I don't typically do fill in the blanks, but I wanted to just kind of stoke the fire for your own prayer imagination. And I want to talk about making much of your own prayer life and so the first thing I would simply say is pray for healing not just help I think one of the great kind of ways you can pause in is is just to consider who among you or maybe in your own life is in need of healing sometimes in my disappointment with God I will actually pray God <laughs> will you heal some part of my theology that's not adding up if there's some part of my belief in you will you help heal that. Will you heal memories that I'm still struggling with? The the kind of resentment that I might still carry. God, I need you to heal this. I think God, one of the character and the attributes of God is the great physician. He is the healer, and he wants to bring precise healing into our lives, but it's only until we begin to name it. This is something interesting that Dallas Willard said in in the book, uh, Becoming Dallas Willard, uh, written by Gary Moon. But uh, he says, there's a great difference between speaking with someone who's present and speaking with someone who's not there. What does your prayer life sound like? Are you speaking to someone who's just sort of, if you happen to hear this, or are you speaking to someone who actually you believe is in the room with you? That might change your own prayer life. But this is the way Dallas Willard says it. I remember for many of my years when I was a young person growing up, I would pray, but it was like I was talking to a person who wasn't there. And then I went through a series of experiences with prayer, incidentally involving and working with the Lord's Prayer. And since that time, I've never had the experience of speaking to God as if he weren't present there. I think God needs to heal our imagination. I think God needs to heal our perspective. God is calling and saying, come pray, answer the phone. I'm calling. That's okay. No problem. Uh, Number two, ask for forgiveness without trying to move on. We are wretched at grieving we don't do well at actually mourning loss and the painful elements of our life, the disappointment in a failing marriage, the the, the abuse of a childhood. We just want to move on and be like functioning alcoholics rather than name the hurt. And so I think forgiveness, that which we've been afforded, the way forgiveness actually works is when we're able to forgive others. That's what salvation is. He's saying, I'm forgiving you so that you can forgive others. But if I forgive you and you just like resent others and you hold grudges and you hold on to it, that is hell on earth. So if you want to imagine prayer as strength, imagine forgiving the people that wounded or hurt you before you just move on and try and build new relationships. Number three, pray for restoration, mindful of the world that God intended. And what what I mean by that is you have to start with the world that God intended before sin entered the equation. Some of you have heard me speak to this idea, but what you and I experience as normal is not the world that God intended because when sin entered the human dilemma, what we have is shame, fear, and regret. And ever since Genesis chapter three and this experience with bad fruit, we've been trying to cover up to hide and to find blame and accuse, shame, fear, and regret. You have to understand when natural disasters occur, when disease happens, when we see um, famine and when we experience human trafficking, you have to understand this is the world we live in, but it's not the world that God intended. And we are part of God's solution, if not salvation. So when things grieve your heart, I promise you they already grieve the heart of the Father. And God is inviting us to participate in things like justice and mercy and compassion. And this is the kind of advocacy that we're invited into. And so the restoration of all things is what we see the end of the story come when, when heaven comes back down to earth and there's a there, there's a new Jerusalem as it's called and this is God making right restoring the world as he intended it from the beginning um, and loving God with our muchness I think is our salvation and it becomes a detriment to us to prioritize kind of self-love um, there's a sign if you drive on Barton Springs there's this beautiful painting and it's Gosh, I, I love it, it's, it's these words, it's a phrase on a newer building on Barton Springs Road and it says, do what you love. And um, I gotta say that is um, really kind of heartwarming and theologically awful uh, uh, because I, I wanna do what I love except the bait of that, the temptation in that is somehow to ease my way into being the center of my life and that I can only do what I love. And if I don't love something, then I don't want to do it. If I don't love someone, then I'll just avoid them. And I would say this is such a worldly trap, and it's countercultural to what we're invited into. This is God trying to save us from ourselves. And he's like, my love is always external. My love is outward in in its expression. Otherwise, it's lust which is inward and self-gratifying. And so I would just say pray for restoration, mindful of the world that God intended. And number four, consider others' needs that are simply different than our own. What this does is it captures the Romans passage in 323 that says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. What we have is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, there's not degrees of sin. We want to put degrees of wrongness and going, wow, you're way more worse. But in God's economy, it's all separation. It's all grievous and it all breaks the heart of the father. And so when we begin to serve people's needs, and let's just count ourselves as some of the needy ones, we begin to say, oh, well, you know, I can put a roof over my head, I can put food on my table and I can get my kids educated. Except that I have other needs. The people in my neighborhood don't have those kind of uh, Maslow's hierarchy, bottom level needs, but they have higher level needs. There's a problem with prescription drugs and there's a problem with taking the edge off at night because it needs a nightly bourbon or three. Uh, there, there is a lot of toxic... Um, Uh, um, what I would consider self-destructive lifestyle. And what I'm saying is we're all needy. So when we have a chance to serve, when we have a chance to give, we're recognizing we're all in the same boat. And then um, fifthly, I would say respond as part of God's generous and compassionate solution. Part of prayer is simply speaking and other times it's not speaking. It's asking and listening. And still a significant part of prayer is getting to be a part of God's response. And then lastly, I would just confess trust and dependence in the face of impatience. This sort of becomes a daily prayer for me. God, in this moment, uh, I just reiterate my love for you. God, I trust you with today. Help me make you lord today help me see you today um it has a way of just tweaking my perspective as i go through the day in fact if you're familiar with the uh, eastern orthodox tradition they have this real strong commitment to prayer without ceasing um and What I love about it is you could be engaged in conversation and they're still engaged in prayer kind of in a back burner way. um, If if you ever have someone come and do work on your house or if you have someone come uh, in just conversation, if you have there's always uh, an idea that whatever I'm doing, whether it's drive time or whether it's repair time or whether it's uh, job time, there's always this prayer without ceasing. There's such an engagement with the presence of God. In fact, one of their prayers uh, that has been prayed for centuries that I think is a beautiful way and frankly a way that I would just like to conclude our service is simply a prayer that they would pray several to many times. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Have you prayed that prayer this week? Because there's something renewing about bowing before the creator God and just riding the ship so that he's in charge <laughs> and we, in essence, come clean. We pledge our allegiance. We, we declare his sovereignty and our limitations. Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, Have mercy on me, a sinner. And what I find is that the more I pray that, the more renewed I become. Because what we're talking about is alignment. If you spend any time at a chiropractor, you know what it feels like to limp through your day, maybe with a a rib out of place. Or when you sleep kind of weird and you wake up with a crick in your neck and then you get a little adjustment and you go, ah, that's how it was supposed to feel. And you may be walking around for several days like that. What I'm suggesting to you through the power of prayer is this alignment that allows us to maybe be a greater conduit for the voice of the Holy Spirit. So can we just close? And would you just bow your heads with me as we close out our time? And let's just pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Would you pray that with me? Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And again, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One more time. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Father, I pray that you would renew our hearts. I pray that we would be able to hear your voice speaking out through the, the, the... the the competing voices of our life, through the competing demands of our life, through the, the needed responsibilities of our life. And I pray that we could center in on you. And I pray that our life with you, our conversation with you, our relationship with you would be a growing source of strength. And may prayer be the thing that ignites spiritual warfare, that you would catapult us into dark places and into glorious places. But I pray that you would, through the work of your Holy Spirit, design our conversation with you and with others uh, to, to, to bring your kingdom to earth. I pray that we would be agents of your restoration and of your salvation. I pray that your kingdom come in our lives I pray that your kingdom would come in our city. Uh, I pray that your uh, renewal and restoration would be part of the fabric of our lives. I pray that the day job wouldn't be just described as earning a paycheck, but whatever we do with our occupying hours, it would be to your benefit. It would be to your renown. It would be to your glory that we might see and sense your presence and be able to see what you see and hear what you hear in a way that transforms our mundane life and experiences you in the routine as well as the mountaintops. So we invite your Holy Spirit to do a work in us and we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on heaven in heaven, as it, on earth as it is in heaven. And would you just stand as we declare God's presence and his praise as we lift up his name. May your prayers, may your praise be an offering together.